You're listening to Roots. Everyone has a story. I'm your host, Mike Scazzari. This podcast is written and produced by me. Each week, I will feature a collection of interesting family stories, conversations, or interviews, and bring them directly to you. For more information or to be featured on my show, please visit www.michaelscazzari.com slash podcast. Thank you for listening. Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's show. I am very excited to introduce my guest today. This is Corey Phillips. She is a researcher from New Jersey, and today we're going to be talking about some really interesting old family stories. So, Corey, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. Happy to be here. Happy to have you. Uh, Corey, tell me, how did you get into genealogy? I was racking my brain to come up with the answer to this question because I'm not really sure. Okay. Um, I want to say off the top of my head, Ancestry DNA was having a sale. Okay. Listen, sometimes <laughs> that's really like, valid. Yep. So I, I thought, well, you know, I wonder because um, I'm very much a, a mixed pedigree. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad's family is Jewish. Okay. And my mom's family, I was told, was French and English and Irish. So I thought, you know, let's let's do the test and see. And then so I bought one for me and one for everybody in my family because mm-hmm. it was Christmas time. So that got me started. And that was actually right before COVID. Okay. And it turns out that doing genealogy was an excellent hobby during COVID. It and, sure was. And now and now I just can't stop. I'm I'm totally addicted. Yeah. There's there's this old joke that if you walk down the street, you could always tell where the genealogists are because the lights are on at three in the morning and you see a shadow <laughs> by the computer, you know that they're up to something. Yeah, or the ones lurking through the cemetery. Those are the ones I keep my eye out for. Listen, I I love a good cemetery walk. We're we're going to be doing one tomorrow, actually, with some some family. We're we're going down to a cemetery here in New Jersey, and uh, we're going to be uh, checking out some of the uh, the old family graves. Excellent. Good stuff. So you're relatively new to this. So this is only yeah. a couple years old. So. I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that there weren't a lot of older family relatives that were were brain dumping information for you as a as a child, but no, unfortunately, and and there's so many so many questions I would have asked, um, but luckily my sister-in-law, my brother's sister, was kind of into it uh, okay. years ago when my grandmother was still alive. Okay, so she interviewed her, and I have a lot of that information. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, my grandmother was at the beginning of Alzheimer's. And mm-hmm. so some of it is a little confusing, but she got most of it right. You know, the, the way her Alzheimer's worked is she remembered her childhood pretty clearly. Right. Um, and it was just the most recent stuff that she couldn't remember. So I was happy to have that. That's for my dad's side of the family. Mm-hmm. My mom's side, my mom actually knows a lot of this stuff and, you know, she's, she's still with us. Thankfully. Okay. Good. Um, and she had tons and tons of pictures mm-hmm. that she was showing me. And I think this is so-and-so and I think this is so-and-so. Some of it was confused, but it was close enough right. for me to kind of get at the truth. Right. It's amazing how the, how the mind works, because my, my grandmother as well, my dad's mother, had dementia at the end. And in the beginning, when, when she was first diagnosed, I mean, her, her long-term memory was just unbelievable. I, I remember a specific moment where she's like, oh, that's my aunt's husband's brother's you know, adopted child from his, th- this person's first marriage. I was like, how do you even know, like, how did you know that train of, of the, the tree? And she was exactly right. It was exactly who she, she knew. So she knew some crazy things, which, 
you know, credit to her. I, I had her, she passed away a couple of years ago, but like I said, at the end it was, it was difficult because her mind, her mind wasn't there, but, uh, you know, the older generations, they really, uh, they could, they could be a big help. And so whether you get to talk to them or somebody else did, it's always, it's always nice to, uh, to have them help as much as they can. So do you, um, you know, going, going back to those generations, who, when you were young, were, were all your grandparents around? Were some of them around? Yeah, I actually, I was lucky to have all of my grandparents until I was around college age. Wow. Um, and I even, I knew my great-grandfather, my, my mother's grandfather. Okay. Um, I think he passed away when I was around six or seven. Okay. And it's funny because the only memory I have of him is him, like, napping in the recliner. <laughs> but... I do remember him. So, I'm uh, sure that's how he'd want to be remembered, right? Sleeping in the chair? No, not really. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because I, I just reread his obituary the other day. Mm-hmm. And he ran a, um, like a general store kind of a thing up in Dutchess County, New York. Okay. And they said, you know, up until a few years before his retirement, he was still running the store. And I would have been alive then, but, you know, a small child. So I don't remember the store, but everybody else in the family remembers the store it was there. It was in uh, Chelsea, New York. So little tiny town, and it was the store in Chelsea. So that's that's kind of cool. Wow. But you know, by the time I knew him, he was retired. Right. How how old was he roughly? Do you know? When he died, um, eighty mid eighties. Okay. All right. It's funny because um, the the last episode I did, I talked about my great grandfather, and he was somebody my my wife and I were dating, and he was still alive. And That's amazing. I, I remember saying to her one of the first times I was like, oh, you know, it was Saturday night. I'm like, oh, tomorrow we go see my my great grandfather. And she looked at me like I was crazy. And she's like, what? It's like, oh, you, you know, he's he's still around. He's going to be 98 in March. And yeah. she's going, oh, my God, mine all died when I was four or five, 10, whatever she was like, you know, as a child. Young, so we were we were lucky that we had we you know that side has longevity. My great grandmother died in two thousand one, so I was in high school when when that yeah, happened. That, and that him, is amazing. And I mean, listen, he had we were lucky with him because he had his mind until the very end. So all these stories, all these things, he never you know my great grandmother had Alzheimer's as well. So you know her, we never really got the information out of. But for him. You know, he was he was one. I kind of talked about this previously that we would ask him something, and it was funny. There were there were many times where he would say, "I don't know the answer," and we would offer like, "Oh, was so and so's name this?" And he'd say, "No, it's not that," but right. I I know what it is. It's not that, but it's something else. And then we would go back the next week, and he'd go, "Oh, that person you were talking about, their name is you know Giuseppe or you know whatever it was." <laughs> So he kind of like, we would call him the thinker because he kind of had all week to kind of noodle on it and then go, all right, I got it. Now I know, now I know where we are. So yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. So is he your, would he be your earliest slash oldest relative that you remember your great grandfather? Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, I think all the other great grandparents had, had passed away before I was even born. Okay. So he was he was the last of his generation for sure. Okay. And a little bit on on the younger side, you know, as far as my great grandparents go. Right. So that was that was kind of nice. And you know, we used to go. He lived just up the street from my grandparents. Okay. And of course, we saw them pretty frequently. Um, so I saw him a couple times a year. But again, I don't really remember interacting with him at all. I don't think he had any patience for small children at that point. 
And there was I, a lot of them. Like I had 13 cousins. So oh, geez. There was a lot of chaos mm. in the house. Yeah. The little tiny house that had one bathroom. That it, much I remember. It's crazy how they how things were back then. Like we take for granted now, you know, kids, you know, you, you don't want your kids to share a bedroom. You got to make sure you have three, four, five bedrooms. Back then, you know, my grandmother was one of six and there was two bedrooms, one bathroom. Yep. And the grandparents lived there as well. Like, I, you know, my my <laughs> grandfather's sisters used to sleep in the kitchen. I never found this out until I was an adult. They used to roll away a bed. Wow. And they would put yeah. bricks in the oven. They would wrap them in a towel to keep their feet warm. Bring out the little rollaway bed, set it up at night, and then in the morning, roll it up, put it next to the fridge, and go about their day. I mean, realistically, who wouldn't want to live in the kitchen? I mean, listen, for, <laughs> for a Sicilian family, you pretty much do anyway. So <laughs> it just it, it saves you the extra steps in the morning of having to go and get breakfast. You just roll out of bed and take two steps to the table. And I'm sure my great-grandmother was already cooking at 6 a.m. So, oh, probably. you know, makes it makes it super easy uh, for them. So, no, good stuff. Now, how about, um, I always ask about traditions growing up, family vacations, anything anything there that now as an adult you tie back and you could say, wow, that was really something that came from, you know, that was a tradition that grandma passed down or so-and-so? So the one thing that really sticks out to me, and this was very normal for me, and um, most people don't understand this at all, but... I mentioned my, my dad's family is Jewish okay. and my mom's family, she was raised Catholic. Okay. Um, so at Christmas time, you know, we celebrated Christmas, but we always celebrated with a traditional Jewish breakfast, okay. which was the bagels and the cream cheese and the lox. And that was our Christmas breakfast um, for my whole childhood. And my, my grandmother on my father's side would come over with all the fixins. And of course, she didn't celebrate Christmas. Right. <laughs> so then we would go up to my other grandparents' house and celebrate Christmas. So we had a nice, uh, I would say, mashup of, of a holiday. But, you know, neither of my parents were, you know, really observant from a religious standpoint. Right. So I, I tell people we celebrated all the gift holidays. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, there, there's there's worse ways to celebrate, right? Yes. Yeah. So that's, but, that's probably the one thing that I, I think really stands out. Um you know, it's interesting because we didn't have a lot of like family stories okay. when I was growing up. Um, it, it was kind of like your great grandfather said, like, why does anybody care about this stuff? All these people right. are dead. Right. You know, we're here now. They didn't talk about all the right. you know, the immigrants right. on either side of the family. So this has been fascinating for me because I feel like I'm doing research on somebody else's family. Right. It's all new to me. Which so I think. As far as I, that goes. I don't even, you know, I don't even know where some of this stuff comes from. And I tell my parents, and they're like, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> it's amazing what you're able to uncover. I mean, you know, from your perspective, if you're, if you're coming into this, you know, without any old family stories, you're right. Everything is going to be new. And it's, you know, I've had plenty of that. I mean, listen, I have sides of my family where, you know, I, I didn't meet, you know, my grandparents on my maternal side. So a lot of that side was kind of blank for me because I never got to sit with them. There were no, there were no great grandparents or anything like that. I mean, my own, my own great grandparents, there's a spread of like 50 years when they're all born. Like I have the two right. that I knew and I have two that were like so dead, you know, for, <laughs> you know, my grandfather would say they died twice by the time I was born. Like, right. you know, that it was, it was, it was such a spread in years. So it's always, it's always interesting when you start to, 
you know, get into this and, you know, going in blind and really not having the background, sometimes I feel is actually, a, it could be a benefit to your research because you don't have any preconceived stories of like, all right, I need to look for this because so-and-so said this. You're just going at records, at data, and trying to piece it all together. So, of course, you know, everybody wants to be able to sit with their grandparents and talk to them and get the stories, but when you can't, sometimes it actually helps. Yeah, it does. And the funny thing that I found was, you know, when I went back to, in this case, my mom, mm-hmm. you know, with some of the stories, she almost didn't believe me. Right. Like, how right. do you know that? How right. could you possibly know that? And right. I said, well, these records don't lie. Right. I mean, they might be slightly misleading, but they don't lie. Right. She still just shakes her head. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's funny. We've had several, several moments where I would, I would show a record to somebody and they go, oh, the record's wrong. I'm like, no, the record's not wrong. The thing is, you know, guess what? People, you know, did get married when the woman was pregnant or things like, or there was already a child born before they were married. And I would have people kind of throw their hands up and go, no way, not my family. And uh, I try to explain, like, listen, people have always been the same. The only thing that That, changes. That had jumped out to me as I'm doing research, how many children were born out of wedlock Uh in every moment in history. Correct. Because I always say. so common. Right. I, I always say people have always been the same. So behaviors yes. are the same. The only thing that changes is the year and technology. You know, teenagers <laughs> are teenagers. To, old people are old people. hide something like that. <laughs> and, but, you know, what's funny about it is it, they were able to hide it because there was no instant information, social media sharing, all of these things. So you could kind of not really say much and people just didn't really think about it. You know, if you say, oh, you know, we got married in... in whatever year and you wouldn't, you wouldn't start to compare and go, all right, well, wait, when was so-and-so born? Because they didn't really, they didn't celebrate birthdays years ago the way they do now where it was just, yeah. it was, you know, talking even, even my grandparents' generation, like they never really talked about having birthday parties growing up. Like that was something that their generation started. Let's, let's have yeah. a birthday party. Let's get the family together. That was never, my great grandfather didn't know when his birthday was. He always said it was March 19th, St. Joseph's day. And you want to talk about people <laughs> that don't believe records. He was actually born on March 24th. And when I brought that to the family, they're like, absolutely not. It's not possible. Yep. And I, had I the said, same experience. my, my grandfather. So my dad's father, mm-hmm. uh, we celebrated his birthday on July 4th forever. And of course, when I found his birth certificate and it said July 3rd, everybody's like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> like, how can that even be? And I said, probably because July 4th was more fun. Like, who wouldn't want to have their birthday on July 4th? Right. I mean, listen, yeah. that was, and that was my great-grandfather. His name was Joseph. So why not yep. celebrate your birthday on St. Joseph's Day? Like, exactly. <laughs> you know, it just made it easier. So he made himself five days older. But, you know, again, one of those things, you bring it to the family and they're like, no way, can't, can't be. He, knew, he knows when he was born. And it, we got into this conversation of like, you don't know when you're born. Your parents tell you when you're born. Technically, you're there. <laughs> you're there. You have but no you, memory of it. You don't go, all right, I opened my eyes for the first time on March 24th, 1906. It's not, it's not how this works. Yeah. So it is, it is very funny. So, um, so that, that's great. I mean, that's all, I mean, all this stuff is, is absolutely fascinating to talk about. So, is there any, I know you said you don't have a lot of stories growing up. Are there, are there any stories that you remember hearing as a kid or, or rumors or anything like that that you hear, we would hear kind of whispering and, and, 
you know, now as an adult, you're trying to figure out or, or no? I think it's a combination of me having like not a great memory okay. in general. Um, and also again, like I think at least my grandparents were pretty focused on just the present because they had all had like pretty difficult upbringings right. and, you know, from a, you know, none of them had any money and they all worked really hard. Right. And, and I don't think they had a lot of time really for retrospectives. Um, the only difference is like when the pictures came out right. um, or occasionally you would get like a, you know, as a child, Oh, she really looks like so-and-so, right. Right. You know, some, some relative that you've never heard of. So it's like, Oh, who's that? But yeah, it wasn't something that my family really talked about much. Yeah. And it's funny. I think, I think some of that could be a cultural thing. Cause my, my family, I mean, I mentioned my great grandfather, how he was kind of looking at us going, what do you want to know for? <laughs> but to your point, when the pictures came out, that's a whole different story. Those pictures would come out and they'd be spread on the table and they go, yeah. oh, let me show you this one. And they start talking about this person and this one knew this one and this guy did this. And all of a sudden it was a totally different you know, situation that you were in. And it's funny because when I started doing all this, the thing that kind of got me into genealogy, and I started when I was 11, so this has been going on for quite a while, was we had a friend of our family who put together a, a book all about his family. And the way he did it was each person got their own page. So you would, you would have Corey Phillips at the top with your photo and then all of your information. When you were born, nice. you know, it, and it was obviously mostly genealogy. So when somebody died, when they married, when their kids were. And it was a really nice comprehensive way to kind of show your family history. And you put it on the coffee table and people would glance through it. And what he would do is behind each person's page would be photos that, you know, either they were in or that were, you know, birth records, death records, whatever they were. Okay. And as I started to put those together, I, I immediately realized that people really only cared about the photos, that they really couldn't digest the information because they look at somebody and go, all right, wait, who is, who is this person? I, and I'd say, oh, that's, you know, whatever. That's great grandma's grandmother. And they can't, in their mind, they can't get to that place because they only know grandma and they like, they can't comprehend that grandma had grandparents. Like, it's almost like, <laughs> you know, and it's funny, like I tell my kids, like, you have to realize like everybody was a kid at some point. Like, you never think about it, but like your parents were kids, your grandmother was a kid. Like, it's just, it's how life is. So it was the photos that really got everybody kind of jazzed up about the whole thing because, oh my God. Yeah you know, that's my mother when she was a kid or that's my grandmother when she was a kid. Like they would be able to put it together a little bit more rather than just going, this is the name of grandma's mother. They go, uh, what, what? But then you show the picture and they suddenly like it clicked that it's more of a visual yeah. thing. So, and of course I wish I had more pictures of more people, but happy for the ones that I have for sure. I, I mean, listen, it's, it's one of those things. I have some boxes in the other room here. There's, probably a thousand photos in each box and maybe 20% of them are labeled. And, you know, <laughs> it's not like they're labeled with, you know, I mean, some have the names, but a lot of them just say like, you know, Jersey Shore, 1909. It's like, all right, great. But oh, like, yeah. who's in the photo? Like, it's great that you labeled where it was taken, but I would like to know who the people in the photo are. Um, but it is funny. There was, there was a moment, I guess about geez, maybe five, six years ago, we were at my, we were visiting my wife's cousin 
And his father, I guess it's similar to kind of your sister's interaction or your sister-in-law, I forget what you said, with, right. you know, yeah. with, the, um, with the past family. Her cousin's father was one that was doing family research years ago. And he passed away, um, geez, in like 2000, I think 2004 or something like that. Like he's been gone for quite a while. Um, and he, we were talking about, you know, how I do the family research and how his father did the family research and, and the whole thing. And he goes, oh, I should get these papers that my father, you know, had. And we could just see, you know, if there's anything here that you don't know. And we kind of sat in the kitchen. We were talking about it. And I said to him, I said, you know, the one thing I wish we had was a picture of the great grandfather in this case, your dad's grandfather. He goes, yeah, you know, I don't think we really have anything, this and that. And we turn the page, and there's a photo of two parents and maybe eight or ten kids. I forget how many they had. And I immediately was like, oh, my God, this must be, this must be them. And he goes, well, I don't know. And we turn the photo over, and it's literally labeled. Not only, yeah. not only left to right, but they did this thing where if you hold it up to the light, they wrote the name on the, on the back of each person's head which is the only way I label photos now because people get all tripped up if you just go standing left to right and somebody's kneeling. It's like, oh, well, are they kneeling or are they standing? Which, <laughs> which row are they supposed to be in? So he, he wrote on the back of each person's head, and sure enough, it was the family. And it's, it's one of those moments where it's just like, oh, my God, thank God that we saved all these things because there are, there are people that were great researchers that you know, we may not know or we may not you know, be around anymore, but it's... Uh, you know, it's really, it's really good stuff. Yeah, definitely. So, um, I want to get into, cause we were, we were talking a little bit before we were, um, there's a story that you have that I think is, is pretty fascinating. I'm really curious to know how you, how you came about it and, 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 and what the, uh, you know, what kind of led you to it. Yeah, so let me let me start at where I started. Mm -hmm. So this is my mom's uh, grandparents. Okay. Um, and she told me they were French. Okay. So they spoke French. Her grandmother spoke French. Um, and, and so that's where I started. Um, they were living, my mom grew up in, I mentioned, uh, in Chelsea in Dutchess County. So I, you know, I didn't know when they came or I had, didn't have any background information. But of course, a good place to start, um, Dutchess County. Uh, census records, and it was clear, just looking at a couple census records, that they were from Belgium. They were not from France. So, you know, quick history lesson for me. Um, the southern part of Belgium is a French-speaking mm -hmm. community. Um, Wallonia. Okay. Uh, so th that's, you know, I could narrow it down. Okay, they spoke French. They were from Belgium. Right. Um, and I don't remember, somebody tipped me off to Ginianet, which is a, a kind of a European genealogy mm -hmm. uh, webpage. Okay. Um, and there were some family trees on there. And so these, these people had kind of unusual names. Their last name was Mort, okay. M-O-U-A-R-T. Um, you know, I got lucky in this one that they didn't have a very generic. <laughs> yeah, you weren't you weren't researching John Smith. Thank God. No, uh, thank goodness, because um, they actually my my great grandmother married a guy named George Smith. So <laughs> oh God, good luck. Careful. Yeah, good yeah. luck. <laughs> um, so anyway, I started digging into this, um, and 
I got a, a few months in and I discovered that Family Search has a treasure trove of Belgian records. Okay. So I started to pull these things out and I was finding all kinds of family trees. I found a marriage record. So the the woman in question, her name is Marie Josephine Bousset. Okay. Um, and she married uh, Victor Joseph Mouart. Um, so she was born in, I think it was 1864. Okay. Let me just double check my records here. So yeah, she was born in 1864 in the town of Momigny, which is in Southern Belgium, just on the border of France. Like it, I looked it up the other day. It's like two kilometers away from the border. So, <laughs> so literally on um, the border, they are right there. It's literally on the border. This, this town, this, this, <clears throat> I, I guess it's a town. Momigny is a town mm-hmm. and it's within a, a region that's, that's, Right along the border. Okay. Um, for the beer drinkers out there, it's not far from Chimay. There you go. If you're familiar with, with Belgian beer, um, which is good. So I know I, I come by it through my DNA. There you go. It's in your <laughs> it's in your blood. That's always good to know. Yeah. All right. So Marie Josephine, and and we knew her as Josephine. Okay. You know, so I'll, I'll just refer to her as Josephine. Um, she actually had a child. And again, this is a child out of wedlock. And it said so right on the record. So <laughs> we know. Um, in 1860, I'm sorry, 1884, she okay. had a child. Okay. And then in 1885, she got married. Victor Joseph Mouart, um, and it legitimized the, the baby that had been born the year before. Right. Uh, they had two more kids, Alphonse and Blanche. Okay. Um, and then they emigrated to America. Okay, okay. all's good. Right. Starting starting a new life, coming, coming here yep. as a family, five of them Does are together. Sense? Yep. 1888, I actually found the, uh, the um, manifest mm-hmm. um, that listed Josephine, mm-hmm. uh, Victor Joseph, and the two girls. Okay. So my first trigger here was, okay, Alphonse is not on the record. Well, he must have passed away as an infant. Right. So I just put him down as, you know, probably deceased. Right. Carried on with my life, did the research on the rest of the family. They had, um, I think, seven more children. Wow. Um, in, in the United States. Their first son was born in Vermont. The rest of them were born in, in Dutchess County, okay. um, what is now Beacon. Okay. Um, back then it was a, it was a village called Matawan. Mm-hmm. A couple months into this, somebody sent me something. A, so she, she was a Belgian researcher okay. digging through these vast array of Belgian records. Um, and she found a marriage record for Alphonse the boy that I thought had died as a child. Ooh, a twist. He got married in 19... I, yeah. He got married in 1909, and his father, Victor Joseph Moore, was there at the marriage. Hmm. That was confusing enough, <laughs> except for my Victor Joseph Moore had already died. He died in 1907. Hmm, okay. Basically, my brain shut down. I was like, none of this is happening. Right. It would have thrown away all the research that I had already done. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to set this aside for a while. Obviously, there's some kind of conflict with the records. Right. Um, I'm just going to move on to the the less frustrating, maybe like Irish side of the family. It's kind of how we said before: the record must be wrong. Let's just the record has to be wrong. Yeah, I mean, how you can't you can't be back from the dead, or can you? What's funny, and the woman who was doing the research that I, you know, I don't know who she is. Mm -hmm. Um, I know her name, but I don't know her personally. She was like, well, obviously you are wrong because this individual is still alive. And I'm like, I have his death record <laughs> from, you know, Dutchess County, New York. I, I know that he died. So 
set it aside. A few months ago, maybe six months ago or so, I decided to go back. I was rejuvenated. I was going to dig into these records and find out the truth. So I've tried to explain this a number of different ways to people, and it's, it's very complicated. But the real answer is there are actually two men named Victor Joseph Moart hmm. in the same little town in Belgium. They were only six months apart in age. Okay. My ancestor, Josephine Bousset Moart, married one of them. And then apparently she went to America with the other one. Hmm. Um, that was my, that I, had, I had two operating theories that I was trying to test against. Um, that was the one that actually won out because I was able to trace both of the Victor Josephs um, from their birth to their marriage to their death. Um, and there were clearly two of them. They had two different families. They were born to, you know, two different sets of parents, which wow. they would have to be because they were only six months apart in age. Right. Um, some of the stuff that I don't know the answer to, I don't know who the three oldest children were fathered by. Okay. Um, I can only speculate that Alphonse was definitely, and I'll call him Victor Joseph number one, the, the man that she married. Right. Because he did stay behind in Belgium with his father. Right. And they lived with, with his grandmother in Belgium. Um, and then he got married in 1909. And I think he lived until, uh, I don't know, I'm going to say 1933 or something like that. Okay. And did he stay over there? He never came to America? He never came to America. Okay. And even on his marriage record, it said that they could not locate his mother. Interesting. He had not heard from his mother in at least a year. Wow. Um, so what I want to know is, had he heard from her at any time in his childhood? Right. He was probably about four when she left, maybe okay. somewhere around there. Okay. Three or four. Wow. Um, so he, he may have remembered her. He may have seen her at some point later. Um, I had a clue that she may have gone back to Belgium at some point, but I have not been able to prove that through any kind of manifest or wow. anything like that. Wow. Um, in Belgium, they have these amazing, amazing records. They're like census records, except they're continuously updated. So if they do a census in, say, 1900, mm -hmm. they will keep updating it until they do the next census in 1910. Okay. So you get like a constant, like, this person died, this person was born. Wow, that's fantastic. Moved. Oh, it's wonderful. Wow. But I also think that there was a little bit of fiction going on. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I, I just like today, the way we said before, people don't change. Yeah. It's there's there's always going to be a little bit of that. Because Josephine Bousset Mort showed up on one of the census records in Belgium when I know for sure that she was living in New York. Hmm. Um, so I don't know if her family lied or she that's what i said she may have gone back there for a visit and showed up on the census i don't really know okay definitely uh more, more work to be done later and listen the hobby that we all have whether whether it's a hobby or a profession it always keeps you coming back because there's always more and i i think i said in one of the the previous episodes the more the more you learn the the more you want to learn you want to just keep keep going because there's always more to unravel it's quite exactly. a, it's quite a, it's quite a story. That's, um, <laughs> now do you know, since the two men have the same name and they're relatively close in age, six months, you said, do we know if they are related to each other? I assume that they probably are. 
Because I wonder. Other than second cousins. Okay. Um, so just the other day, in fact, I reached out to a couple of people who are doing family trees on Jeannie and Annette. Um, and I got answers back from both of them. They both live in Belgium. Okay. Um, and so I'm hoping to, to get an answer to, to this at some point in the future. Um, the Morg family actually came from France, like okay. in the 1700s. Okay. They moved from France to Belgium. Belgium wasn't really a country per se until mm-hmm. I think it was 1830. So there was a lot of like sort of fluid fluidity across the border. Right, right. Um, but I assume with a name that is unusual even in Belgium and France, um, that they, they are all related. Uh, I mean, it would not surprise me. And I'll, I'll be honest, I have no, um, you know, no, no Belgium research under my belt at all. I've never, I've never had to look at it, but it sounds like the records are amazing. And just going on, you know, having, having spent a lot of time looking at European records in general, I would not be surprised if they were related somewhere, especially the same town, you know, it's more than likely they're probably, those trees are probably going to merge at some point. It's just a matter of how far back they do that. Yeah, it, it's a small town. Right. I think the population even now is only about 5,000 people. So yeah, it, it's not like it could be that much of a coincidence. Okay. But I would love to know the story. You know, people always say, if you could, if you could go back and meet one of your ancestors, Man, Josephine would be the one. I well, that that that's one of my questions. So I'm going to let you just <laughs> go with it. Is, is you know, is there somebody that you'd want to have a cup of coffee with and and say what the heck or you know, tell me about this situation? I'm sure you know she's one of those people. Oh, she absolutely is, and you know, just the fact that you know, there's got to be some trauma there for sure. Of she course. left her son behind, you know, at a, and he was very young. And brought her daughters to America, and you know, chances are she never saw any of them again, or maybe she did. Like, I oh, just I would love to know. Yeah, I mean, that was always one of the things we, you know, we heard, you know, again from my from my family, my say, my same great grandfather, his wife, because he came he came here in 1920 with his dad and his brother, and the story is that he, it it, it it's it's tricky, but. I, I explain it in a way. His sister was married to this guy named Salvatore Palumbo, uh, Giuseppe, Giuseppe Palumbo. Um, and they were married. You know, he was a boy. He was still in, in Sicily when they were married. So the families knew each other because his sister was married to this guy. And then he came to America and heard that his brother-in-law's sister was, quote-unquote, available to be married. So I don't know what that means. Like I always joke, like, did they put her on a billboard and say like, all right, Maria's available. Who wants her? And he, he sent a letter and he sent jewelry to Sicily and his letter arrived first. So she chose him and and he, he saved up the money. He went back over there in 1930 um, and he married her. He stayed for like six months and they ended up coming to America. They married in October. They came to America in February of 1931. And, you know, you want to talk about, you know, trauma and things. She said goodbye to her family for the last time. She never saw them again, you know. Yeah. And, and the story was that she cried so much on the boat coming to America 
that they were worried that she wasn't going to get in because they thought they were they thought the officials were going to think she had an eye infection and things like that and it was just that she was missing her parents so her mother her father had already died and her siblings she was missing them so bad that she just cried the whole way so it's you know the the stories of of those that were left behind i i've always said they were leaving them most of the time for the last time which you know i you know now i i i joke we facetime everybody from all over the world i mean yeah. you know you and i are on google meet right now looking at each other and and this whole thing and you know go back then like they never saw their families again yeah and i don't know how much you know i don't even understand the the whole you know did they write letters was that right i guess it was possible but you know there's so much time delay sure especially back then and, and you know sending mail overseas yeah yeah they uh you know it was it, it, it kind of makes sense when you start to think about when you you bring up these old stories and they look at you and go what do you want to know for because a lot of it, you know, I have to assume was very painful. I mean, I, I, I don't always like dropping my kids off at school. Like sometimes I just want to spend the day with them and hang out. And like right. you're, you're leaving your son in Belgium yeah. and you're going to America. It's, it's really. Right. And I would love to know what that conversation was like. Especially be because she, she brought or... the girls. I mean, if she, yeah. you know, all right, you stay here. My, my kids don't like me to take one of them to the food store and not the other. Like and that's for an hour. Like if I'm going food shopping, right. like oh, why are you bringing my sister? Why are you bringing my brother? Imagine it's like, all right, I'm moving to America. You stay. I'm gonna take the <laughs> girls, and I'll see you later. Right. It's uh, yeah. I. It, it's amazing what what they went through back in in those times. Um. So to so that point, obviously, I would love to know also like that. Again, she had two other kids, right? Right. When she left for America. She had two daughters. Right. Was the was the other Victor Joseph the father, and that's why she brought them, or was was it because they were girls, or right? Uh, right. So many questions. There's there's a lot, <laughs> and especially it sounds like Victor Joseph number two. That's who she had. You said seven more children with. Yeah. So I mean that brings her to nine in this country, plus the tenth over there that never that never came. I mean that's right. Now some of those kids you know, died as, as oh, infants. Yeah, I mean, that's, um, and then, and then there's like multiple, the family was a little bit cursed, I'm going to say. Mm -hmm. Um, and they were very devout Catholics. And I have to think like, they probably blamed themselves for a lot of the bad things that happened. Right. Right. In 1907, um, they're only, so I, I want to say they're only surviving son, except, except for Alphonse, who was living in Belgium. Right. Um, in 1907, he died in an accident at a, a brick-making oh, facility. Wow. Um, so he was only 18 years old. Wow. And then just a few months later, his father died of pneumonia. Um, and the, the other crazy story that I, I kind of referenced was that um, there was a lawsuit against the, uh, the owners of the, the brick-making factory hmm. for Oscar's death. Um, but it was filed by his father. And when his father died, they dismissed the whole lawsuit wow. because the person who filed it was no longer alive. Right. So now my great-great-grandmother is raising, I think she's got six living children at the time, hmm. um, as, a, as a widow. And they denied her the money, which would have been 
life-changing. It was $15,000 in 1907. That's a lot of which money. Which was a lot of money back yeah. then. Yeah. And so basically she had nothing. And they gave her, they, they finally settled on a number, which was, I think it was $51. Wow. And that's, that's what she got for losing her son, wow. losing her husband, and raising, you know, six daughters by herself. So, yeah, it's, it's a tragic story all around. I mean, it's crazy because, you know, you hear people today, and, and not to get into politics, but you hear about the, the corruption and things like that. It's always happened. It's always been around. Yeah. And oh, you definitely. S- you and, see stories and like fact, that. And there was a ton of newspaper stories about it. And the... Um, right. Uh, I can't remember who he was. One of the one of the attorneys in the case basically said, you know, there's no justice here. Right. You know, sometimes there's letter of the law and sometimes there's spirit of the law. Mm-hmm. And you basically went with letter of the law because it was a company, a corporation, that basically said, oh, no, you have no standing here because you're not the person who filed the lawsuit. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, it is. It's a tragic story, but it, you know, it's one of those things. It's gonna keep you coming back because there's there's clearly more to be found. Yep. So now, is this is this one of those things? I I always ask people that are that are deep into their family research, because you know, none of us ever say like, "Listen, I'm done. I've I've figured it all <laughs> out." You know, I'm I finished. yeah, I'm I'm finished. But to that point, one thing I I always kind of say pe- to people is. Is there one thing that if you found out whatever it was that you would be like, all right, you know what? I'm good. If I never find another thing for the rest of my life, this is the thing that I feel like I've, I've, I've completed what I want to complete. No. Okay. <laughs> and that's okay. Listen, that's okay. Yeah. I am not in it for the answers. I'm in it for the journey. I love the journey. I love finding new places to get information. I love learning about the history of a place. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't even know, you know, this town in Belgium existed. And now I know all about it. I know they have a, you know, glass making industry. And Mm -hmm. just the other day I found postcards of the clog makers. Wow. So they made wooden clogs and there's actually pictures of, you know, these, these men in their clog making attire. Um, So I just love learning you know, about things that my ancestors experienced. And I've learned more history in the last four years than I ever did in all my years of school. It's amazing, it's isn't so it? personal. Yeah. And it's funny. I always say to people, like, growing up, I could not stand history class, social studies. No, I either. just, I, to me, that, w- that was, you know, no offense to my teachers if they're listening, but, like, that was the sleeper class for me. Like, how many times are you going to hear about the Revolutionary War and, you know, the Roman soldiers and all these things? It was just never, it never did it for me. It was kind of like, all right, this is, this is not exciting. But no. to me, and I, I think it's, a, you know, it's obviously a little bit selfish, but the, the research, I, I always feel like if social studies and history courses took the history that was going on, but then also let the students tie in their own family history to it, it would become a whole different kind of experience in the class. You know, yes. if, you, if you could spend some time going, all right, we're going to learn about the Revolutionary War, but before we do, we're going to do a little bit of research and see who had family around or where your family was and try to tie it into, you know, what you're learning in class. Because I feel like it would get kids way more jazzed up about what's going on in in the history of the world than just learning about, you know, 
George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. And it's nothing against those people, but it's like, you know, there's, there's something to be said when it's your family. It's just, it makes it that much more interesting because I never really, even though I was doing my own family research already when I was in high school, I mean, like I said, I started when I was 11, even though I was doing that research, I never once in class thought, I wonder what my family was doing when this event was going on because it was like two separate things. You almost don't think about it that like, wow, I wonder if anybody was here in the United States when Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves. And we never had that opportunity. So now I go back and go, all right, wow, I had family that was coming to America as that was going on. They were leaving Ireland and coming to America and Abraham Lincoln was president. Like that's wild to me. (laughs) Because <laughs> you don't tie the two together because you go, all right, this is my family. They're from they're from Ireland. And, you know, he he had a whole bunch of kids and they all came over. And when you start to do I, I always like to do timeline research and I kind of salt and pepper in some of the, you know, the 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 higher picture, the higher level things like who was the president and, you know, what was the value of a home and things like that. It starts to tell you a different story because you, you go, all right, they came to America in 1862, whatever. But you don't always go, all right, Abraham Lincoln was president. Like, it's, it's just, it, it, brings, it brings it all together for me. Yeah. And even, like, every time you look at a, a census record, mm-hmm. you think about what the country was like in that time period. And right. How, you know, how small it was or how big it was. Or, right. You know, I always marvel at so many of my ancestors came into New York City, obviously, right. as immigrants. Right. Lived in New York City. But these people were from little tiny villages all over right. Europe or Ireland or wherever they were from. You know, what did that feel like to be living all of a sudden in a tenement building where there's the same number of people as there were in your entire village, you know, back home? I mean, you so, want you yeah, want to talk about a culture shock. A culture shock is is an understatement when it comes to that kind of thing, because it's the same thing for my family. You know, they the the Italian side, the Scazzaris came from Sicily you know, little tiny town where you had, in some cases, cousins marrying cousins because that's just who was available to be married, right? It was just, it was the way it was. And going from there to, you know, first to Brooklyn for a little while, then to Patterson, New Jersey. I mean, you don't live too far away from me, so you you understand Patterson. I do. (laughs) I I can't imagine what that was like for them because they, you know, there, there was one point where we saw we saw a photo of your of a traditional home the way it was at that time in Sicily when they left there, and you're talking about clay walls and a yep. straw bed and no heat, like a little bucket in the corner for water, like really, like it never dawned on me that it was that bad. You know, I always thought like, oh, they lived in Italy and like they sat around and had fun and you know they played with their friends when they were kids and this and that. And then I saw this picture of this house and I was like, oh, dear God, like you, you don't always think about, oh, they didn't have running water or they only had a bucket of water and that was their water for, for the day or for the week, whatever it was. And then to come here where there was electricity and there were cars, like it was a completely, I mean, they always say the new world and you really understand why, why they use those words because it really was a complete completely different world than what they were used to. Yes. I, and like, just even like getting off the boat at Ellis Island or, you mm-hmm. know, the predecessors to Ellis Island and just seeing the city mm-hmm. 
okay, I'm going to get back on the boat. This is right. too much. <laughs> right. Right. But yet they all did. And I always, I always find it fascinating again for, for my family that all of the branches went to Patterson. Like that was the place to go. Like they, you yeah. know, they landed in Ellis Island and then the, the Irish, the German, the Italian, they all ended up in Patterson for some reason. That was the, that was the place to go. I guess it was close enough to the city. There were, there were mills and, and, and there was work for them. So that, and that was, that was the thing that, you know, my wife and I often talk about because still to this day, you know, how many times do you meet somebody and you say, Oh, hi, nice to meet you. What do you do for a living? And that, that, ties back very strongly to our families because they came to America to work, to find work, to build a better life. People were defined by their, by their jobs and what they did. And it, it's still something, you know, with, with that question, what do you do for a living? It, it's very much yeah. tied to that because in this country, we, a lot of times, whether right or wrong, we define ourselves by what we do for a job. And it, it comes from, from all of that. Yeah. And I would say it's a good point, too, because um, one of my mom's grandparents is Irish. And so all the Irish, you know, ancestors who came over during the famine years, it's really, really hard to research them because there was a lot of them. Correct. A lot of them have very common names. But what they did is have occupations that were unique. Right. Um, Not all of them, but uh, like one of my I think he's my great great grandfather was an iron molder mm-hmm. and he was an iron molder on every census and even on his death record. And even though he had a very common name, there weren't a lot of iron molders. Right. Um, so that's, that's just a tip for people who are, you know, frustrated by all the, you know, the, the Patrick Murphy's and the, the, the John Riley's. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I, I appreciate that because that's very much something that people I think often overlook how, how tied people were to their occupations because I, we have the same thing. My wife has Irish ancestry and there's a few of them, you know, she has, she has one and we're going to, we're going to do probably a couple of episodes just about this family. The, the last name eventually became Kimidy, K I M I D Y, which nobody knows that name. You say that name. And they're it's like, not oh, Irish. They're, yeah. They're like, what, what is that? Like it just, it, it's not a name. But when you look in Ireland, it really appears, and we're still we're still on the fence. But I'm I'm like ninety percent of the way there. That the name was actually Kennedy, just like you know yeah. the president. But back then, you know, people didn't really know how to read and write, so you would write something quickly, and think about writing in cursive. If you write K I M I D Y or K E N N E D Y, those double N's very easily could look like an M, and then it becomes Kimity suddenly, and and this whole thing. But the the point of this is the way we've been able to track the family in a lot of the Irish records is by the occupation. Because when you're dealing with somebody that's James Kennedy, then James Kimity, then James James Kennedy, and you're making up all these names, you're seeing one common thing, and that's the occupation. So it's 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 a good tip for, yeah. for any researchers Especially out if there. It was, if they were a skilled laborer of some kind, right. Right. They, they basically kept that. My ancestors, ancestors that kill me are just the laborers. Right, right. So many laborers. Right. I don't know what they did. They did whatever they could, I guess, to make a living, but that's not helpful. Yeah. I mean, listen, my, you know, my family came here and I remember my, my great aunt and she's actually the one that inspired the, the name of this show. Everyone has a story because 
she, I was talking to her one day and she says, you have to understand that nothing was beneath them. It was, it was one of those things they, they needed to work and they would do, they would do anything just to, just to work so that they could build a better life for their families. And that's what they did. I mean, we talk about it now, like, you know, so many times people are, you know, they're unemployed or they're looking for work, but they, they, they won't do certain things. And that's just a, that's a mentality in general that people have. But back then people, people would do anything. Like you just needed a job. You had to put food on the table because think about it. We, you know, we are, you know, whether we like it or not, this, we, we, we seem to be as a country moving to an almost cashless system, which I don't think will actually happen, but you know, we're heading in a way where everybody uses cards for everything. And when you go back to those times, if you were out of money, you were out of money. There was no, there was no credit card to, to, to bill, to go buy the food. If you didn't have money, you had to work to get more money so that you could put food on the table for your family. Yeah. So that, that brings up another, uh, something I never knew about until I started doing family history, which is poor houses. Mm-hmm. Um, before we had social security in this country, you know, once you were too old to work, or your family couldn't take you in, you you ended up in a poorhouse. Yeah. Now, some of them were not bad, right. and other ones were really bad. Um, and entire families would end up there if if they couldn't work for whatever reason. They were disabled, or right. um, I have an ancestor who lost his sight, um, and he ended up in the poorhouse because nobody could take care of him. So wow. that, that's an interesting part of our history in this country. Right. Um, again, some places did it well, other places really not well. Um, and unfortunately, the poorhouses also had their own uh, graveyards. Mm-hmm. And many, many of them have been lost to the ages. Yes. Yeah. It, there was um, there was a member of my family years ago, we found um, they were in a, again, you know, you want to get into the terminology, they, they called it a mental institution. But really, the only reason they were there was they had Parkinson's disease. But right. they, they didn't know what it was back then. And there was this person had a sibling who had seizures. So they were they were both put into this place and left there until they died. And they're they're buried in a giant field out there. There's no headstones. They were they were out of money. So similar in a way to a poorhouse where they were just they were sent there and they never came back. And it was it was one of those things when I tracked them down, I kept saying, I don't understand where these people went. Like what you know, what they were they were in the census, they were with their families, the whole thing, and then they're just they're gone. Gone. And then it was a I, I believe it was a twenty year span where I didn't see them and all of a sudden they popped up and they're in this place. And I was like, Oh my God, they're here. And I made a couple of phone calls. I, I spent some time down at the uh, the New Jersey State Archives, which you know, I want to talk about for a minute. And I was able to find out exactly what happened to them when they passed away. And there were some old family letters that I actually got from somebody. And one of them talked about going to see one of these people. And I'm going, all right, so people, people visited them, but they were just left there until the end. And then I mean, I would love to know how that conversation went. Was it just like, oh, Aunt Maggie died and let's just put her on the ground outside the, the room where she spent the last 20 years. It's to me, it's crazy, but you know, back then, you know, if you didn't, if you didn't have money and you, 
you know, there were no surviving children or spouses or anybody to pay for your funeral. I guess that was just, that was decision that was made. Right. The, the state took care of it or the, yeah. you know, the yeah. hospital, I guess that would be a, a state institution probably. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. So yeah, talk to me about New Jersey archives. I have yet to visit. You have, okay, so you have not been. Okay, my question nope. was going to be if you've been. I, uh, it's it's on my list, but the days that they're open sort of conflict with this like full time job thing that I have. Yeah, I know. We got <laughs> some of us have to work. It's crazy. Like it just it gets in the way of having all the fun. I can't wait to retire. Um, I know. Anyway, um, the New Jersey State Archives is one of my favorite places to visit. It's just, it's absolutely, it, it, it's unbelievable when you go. They, the staff that's there, I mean, I, I was on a first name basis with them. I haven't been since before COVID just because, you know, it's crazy and they have different hours now and things like that. Um, but they are, they are a group of people that are so willing and ready to help you with anything you need. So I don't, I don't know what the latest records they have, there are, I know, I, I believe the births still go to like 1923. So you could get some pretty recent births. And the only reason they stop at that point was, I mean, now we're 100 years out. But there was a rule, I want to say it was like 90 years or something like that before they could release more birth records. So they had up until 1923. It's possible they have newer ones. I'm not sure at the moment. Um, they have marriage records that go into the 50s, I believe. And now I know their deaths go into the early 1960s. Um, everything is is organized by year and by last name for the most part, except for some of the earlier stuff where you may have to look at an index to find a record and then and then go back. But the the staff that's there is just they're incredible. Like I said, they're they they like what they do, and you see it come out in them. I've had moments there where. I was I was looking for one branch of my family and what what I often do is I just if if I've if I've caught up on a lot of records I'll just start looking for the same last name in every year. So in this case I was looking for the last name Hendrix which just like Jimi Hendrix with an X. Um I it was my great 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 grandmother's family that was her her maiden name. And I had found them in the census. They were up in Orange County, New York, um, you know, Rockland County, that area. And I knew that they came to New Jersey, that they spent time, you know, in the vicinity of Patterson, Little Falls, you know, those kind of towns. And I, you know, knowing that there were a lot of them, I just said, you know, what? I'm going to just start looking for Hendrix family members in every year. So I just, I start, I always start with the deaths because I feel like for me, they're a little bit easier to, to look through. And if you know that somebody, you know, was alive in the 1930 census, you know, it's going to be, you know, after that, obviously that they pass away. So I, I started doing exactly that. You know, I grabbed a bunch of reels literally year by year. So I grabbed like, I think it was 1920 through 1929 and I get to one record and I realize that it's my great, great, great grandmother's brother. And I'm t and, and you have to realize, like, I, I know these researchers that are the, the people that work there. I, I've been going there for so long that I was to the point where they would say, how's your wife? How are the kids? Like they, you know, I'm Facebook <laughs> friends with a few of them. Like, you know, I really, I really knew them very well. And I, I, I called over, she, she has since retired, but my friend Sherry that worked there. 
And I said, Sherry, what does this say? Like, I can't, I can't read this word. And she goes, oh my God, it says homicide. And I was oh. like, ooh. And I kind of like did one of these, like, uh, you know, lift my glasses <laughs> up and I'm like, ooh, okay. Now, now we have a story. So all of a sudden she goes, all right, we got a homicide. <laughs> and <laughs> the, the, the one woman behind the desk, she went to this book and she grabbed this book. Somebody else went to the, the manuscript room and grabbed something. And all of a sudden I had three or four people researching with me. And they're, they're on the computer and they pull up the, the article and it turns out this guy's son killed him because they accused the son of doing something to his daughter and the father defended the granddaughter. It was like this whole family thing. And they all got into this story. Like it was to the point where the next time I went, they had records waiting for me. Like, oh, after you left, we thought of this thing and here we, we got this for you. Like they, yeah, amazing. It, it really shows you how much they care about what they do because it's not, it's not just a job for them. Like they're actually in it because they are, they are truly invested in trying to help you figure out, you know, your family history and all these things. And the funniest part about the story, well, funny or, you know, I am using that loosely because it was one of those true head scratching moments. I, I got the information for this brother and I, you know, on the death record, it, it says homicide, um, and the whole thing. It tells you where he's buried. So I went to the cemetery because I always like to get a photo of the grave for, for anybody I can. So I go there and, you know, there's no headstone. They just bring me right to a, a blank, you know, plot. There's nothing there. So I'm like, all right, you know, whatever. At least I, I was here. I saw the grave, you know, too bad there's not a headstone, but whatever. That happens a lot. So the next time I went back, which is only about a week later, because this was at a point where, you know, I, I don't think we had kids yet. So I was a little more, you know, able to go freely. Um, I went back and I was like, all right, I want to find out what happened to this guy's son, who is the one that murdered him. So I go and they're like, you know, we have, we have the, they, they had brought it out the first time. So they brought it out again. They have the book from the actual prison where he went and you see the ledger when he was signed yeah. in to prison. Like it's the actual book that was in the jail, in the prison. Which, I mean, that alone, I'm like, oh my God, it, it's, a, it's a relic. Like, this is unbelievable. And you're looking, it's a big ledger. I mean, it's, you know, probably two feet tall. It's, you know, two feet wide by the time you open up these big pages, the whole thing. And they, they put the name and the age and, you know, why he was there and the date that he was, he was checked in and the whole thing. So then I said, I want to find out what happened to him. Like, if he ever got out of jail or what happened. And it turns out that he, he died in prison. I found the death record there. It was sometime in the 1940s, I believe, he passed away. And I look at the, the place of burial and it's the same cemetery. I was like, all right, listen, it's a big cemetery. It's in Clifton, New Jersey, which is in Passaic County. So I, I figure like, all right, he was probably just thrown in the ground, whatever. So I go to the cemetery and I give them that name and they give me the exact same plot where the father was buried. <laughs> and I'm like, no, that's, that's, and I looked at the, the guy and I was like, no, that's, that's for the father. And he's like, no, he's buried here too. I was like, no, okay, hold on. This is, again, the record must be wrong. And sure enough, they buried the father nine feet below, and then six feet below is the son. They are 
So in, they get to fight it out forever. They are, they are in the same grave. So it's not like they're side by side or it's a six-person plot and they, yep. they're a, they are literally one on top of the other. And I stood there and I looked at the <laughs> ground and I was like, who made this decision? Because it's it's obvious, like he served his time. It was it was. There's no doubt that he he murdered his father, and to find out that they buried the dad in 1927, I think 1941, the son the son died, to then bury him on top of his dad. Either they didn't care, or they just had no money, and that was the only option, and they did it. I, I'm not really sure, but again. That's one of those situations where I'm like, all right, who decided this? Because to me, this is insane. Like, you know, they think, paid good money for that plot. They weren't going to let it go to waste. I, I guess you just got to keep it, keep make sure it's full so nobody else could take it. But I'm thinking, like, geez, if you're the grandkids in this situation, or you're a niece or a nephew, you're going, all right, I want to go visit, you know, where grandpa's buried, but I also have to deal with the uncle or my father, whoever, you know, whoever you are visiting that killed him. Like that's, that's, there's a little bit of a conflict there, but sure enough, they are, they are there together. So that was, you know, that was one of those moments where that was probably the most excited I ever had all the, all the women at the archives, because I mean, I, you know, it's one of those memories I could close my eyes and see it like a video. She just, she was over my shoulder. I'm, I'm doing the thing. We're looking at the screen and she goes, all right, we got a homicide. <laughs> and they all just like, <laughs> they went into this mode of like, we're going we're gonna to do this. And one went on the, um, like I said, on the computer. Somebody went to the other room and they got stuff. It was really, it, it, it just, it, it, it was from that point on where like these people are just unbelievable. Like they're so supportive in, in everything you need. And there's, there's so much there. I mean, the New Jersey State Library is next door. So they have a lot of uh, old newspapers and things that are on. Everything's on microfilm. So you know when you when you get a chance to go, it's um, you know prepare yourself. It's really you know I I keep a really detailed spreadsheet with basically first name, last name, what the event is, and the date. You know any information I can, and that's that literally becomes my checklist for the whole thing. So you know my wife has gone with me several times and. You know, it's it's the kind of thing. Once you get on a roll, if you know exactly when somebody passed away and you know the name and the whole thing, you could you could have the record in your hands within three minutes. Like it's right. very it's very quick. It's all it's all microfilm based, like I said. So it's um it's one of those things like you you can't see because it's behind the the camera here. But there's a I have a bookshelf right here. When I tell you there are literally thousands of pages of death records and birth records that I've I've pulled from there, I am not exaggerating. Because it's just the more the more you find, the more you're able to go look for. Because think about it, you pull a birth record, all of a sudden you have, you know, mom's made a name. All right, now let's go find the marriage record and let's go find this. And it just one thing leads to another. And it just, you know, I I am still to this day amazed at how much, you know, thank God that my family was all here in New Jersey to be able to find these records because it's it's crazy. I was going to complain because while my, my family lived in New Jersey, they generally didn't stay. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of them were not born here. Um, they just lived here for, you know, 10 or 15 years. Right. 
Um, most of my family's records are in New York State, mm-hmm. which is just a pain. Right. <laughs> yeah, you have and to go to directly to the towns and right. It becomes a little doable, bit more. But it's, it's just a lot of work. Yeah, it becomes. You know, it, it, it's New Jersey. I've I, I always call it a self serve model. I think technically they call it open stack and closed stack. So New Jersey, you can just go and do the microfilm stuff yourself. Where other states, I think New York is one of them where you have to tell them what you want and they go get the record yeah. for you. So look. it's it's a slower process. So right. a, again, another reason where I just, I love the system New Jersey uses and, you know, it's it's one of those things they, you know, I'm I'm still in the mode of like before, before COVID and things, they would open at 8.30, they closed at 4, 4.30. And I would I would work the entire time. I would they give you a locker to put your stuff in. I would go in there, grab a quick bite of a sandwich, and then go right back in because you want to just keep moving. I mean, there were days where, you know, I would come home with hundreds of pages from one day's visit, and you know, it's one of those uh, things where you just it, you can never. Like you, I'm almost never satisfied when I go. I'm like, all right, now I need more. Like, there was there was one point where I was just packing up to leave, and I was like, oh my god, I never thought to look for a marriage record for my great great grandparents on the on the one side of my family. So I was like, all right, I know roughly when they married. Sure enough, I found it right away, and it had hit the name of his mom and dad, who I never knew who they were. So now I'm like, oh my god, I just uncovered another you know two names for ancestors. But now I got to leave. So now I got to come back <laughs> because now I got to look for more people. But, you know, they, they ended up being, you know, they never left England. But it's just, it's, it's a really good experience. Like I said, the staff is very, very helpful. So when you can, definitely, uh, definitely get yourself down there because it's, it's, it's worth the trip. It's a little bit of a drive for us that are, that are, you know, here in North Jersey, but 100% worth it. It's, it's really an amazing place. Excellent. Good tip. Yeah. So, um, the only other thing I want to, I want to ask you, are there any other brick walls that you are just absolutely stuck on? Is there, is there one where you think maybe, maybe the answer's at the state archives or, or anything like that? Or are you kind of mostly focused on this one crazy story in your family? No, um, I have many brick walls. Okay. As, as we all do. Um, the whole the whole Irish clan. I, I'm not sure where in Ireland they come from, so okay. I'm still trying to figure out if there is some piece of paper somewhere mm-hmm. that might give me a hint. Um, I, I I read a good tip yesterday, actually, mm-hmm. um, to really look into baptismal records okay. because the sponsors generally are family, right? And they're probably people that you don't know of beforehand so right. then you can research those people and maybe you know come up with you know they had a newspaper article or something written about them that said where they were from right. so right i'm gonna i'm gonna dive into that again um some of my lines go back so many generations like I, you know i have one and i didn't do any of this research this is somebody else um came to connecticut in like 1650. Wow. So, you know, that's pretty much done. I'm not going to go any further back than that. It's kind of, a, so I have an area of interest that's generally around the turn of the century, mm-hmm. 1900-ish, you know, right. plus or minus 20 years. That's, right. that's really like where I enjoy doing the research. Yeah, My, me, me too. I'm, I'm, I'm with impossible. you. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, so I'm kind of stuck on the generation before that. If they were born in the early to mid 1800s, the records are a little sketchy, mm -hmm. especially for women. Um, the the spellings of names are all over the place, so you know that just makes it more yes. challenging. But it's it's fun. Like you know, I like I said, I enjoy like the challenge even more so than getting the answers. Although that's pretty satisfying as well. Oh yeah, I mean, listen, it's you know my my mother in law always used to tease me that I was like a cold case worker. You know that you, yeah. I mean, you really are. You're 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 trying to uncover things that happened. You know, at this point, 120, 150 years ago, there's nobody around anymore, of course. So you're you're literally just page after page after page of trying to find these things. And I'm with you. I I enjoy that sweet spot of like I always say like 1870 to like 1930. Like that's like a, to me that's a nice pocket of time to research because the records are pretty good there were a little bit more modern with things so you kind of especially for new jersey you kind of 1878 you kind of start moving to more certificates and less ledger type records so right. you're starting to get more information about the people that you're you know you're you're looking for so you know whether it's ancestry or you know you're doing in-person research at a courthouse or this or the state archives, it's a good um, it's a good pocket of time. And obviously, the more the more forward in time you come, the better things are going to get for in terms of finding records because there's there's definitely a lot of situations where a record just wasn't filed for whatever reason. And I you know it still boggles my mind to this day that there's people that I know for a fact that they. They died between 1930 and 1935, and there's literally no death record for them. And I yep. kind of just scratch my head and go, "I don't. What, what'd you do? I, I don't understand. Like how <laughs> how nothing. And it's one of those like I know exactly when and where and the whole thing. Like it's not like oh maybe they died out of state. No, they. I, I know where they died. Like I literally was told like they died in the house. They died upstairs. Whatever. And there's <laughs> no record. So it's just it's it's crazy, but it's um, I, I do enjoy stuff goes, stuff goes missing. And I'll tell you what I and it's funny when I was interviewed um, on um, on the podcast with with uh, Drew Smith a couple of years ago, I I joked that I feel like every time there was a fire at any of these places, it was my family's records that burned. <laughs> Like yeah, your family, right? It was my family. Well, we were together. We were obviously filed next to each other because there's there's a cemetery in Lodi, New Jersey, where I have a lot of my Dutch uh, ancestors are buried. My, in fact, it's one of my oldest graves in this country that I know of. It's my great 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 grandfather is buried there, and I was trying to find his son, who's also buried there. The son died directly across the street. When you stand in the gate of the cemetery. Directly across the street is the house where he died. He was one of those, you know, his wife left him and he was, you know, she called herself a grass widow and the whole thing. And I have his death record. It says he's buried there. And there's no record of the grave at all. And the cemetery was very gracious to me years ago, um, 2008, so 15 years ago already. Wow. Um, they said, you know what? Come in. We trust you. Have a look at the records. And they literally unlocked the office for me. And the guy says, just make sure you put everything back where it was, like, you know, have at it, basically. So I spent 
several hours in this, you know, it's not a, it's not a fancy place. I'm basically in a glorified shed where they keep all the records. There's lawnmowers next to me and things (laughs) like that for cutting the grass, but all the records are there. There's ledgers and there's index cards and the whole thing. And I spent the whole day, I, you know, I photographed all the names. I was, I was going to photograph every record, but it was just, there's too many pictures to have been taken. So I just focused on all the names that I knew and I get to the end of the day and I still don't find the person I'm looking for. And he says to me, well, you know, there was a fire that we had and I think we lost about a hundred records. And I was like, of course, like the hundred that were lost out of the 10,000 that are here, you're going to tell me one of them was mine. And he just starts laughing. He's like, yeah, it's probably the case. So to this day, I know he's there somewhere, but can't tell you where. So it's just, it's (laughs) the way it goes. Yeah, cemeteries are both like a, a joy and also they can make you crazy. Oh, they, have, they can. Again, with the, the the lack of headstone and then the records that are lost and then found and lost again. Um, I had a couple of recent successes up in Ulster County. So right now I'm, I'm living large with finding things in cemeteries that I didn't know were there. So yeah, I mean, listen, cemetery research, cemetery research is really, um, it's one of those things if you know your family is from a certain area, I, I tell everybody, just go to the cemetery, park the car, and just start walking around. Yeah. And people think I'm crazy. They're like, I don't understand what you do when you go. And I tell them, I just I, I walk around and I look for familiar names. And I can't tell you how many times, I mean, at this point, hundreds of people I found just by walking around the cemetery. You know, and I'm, I'm one of those people, if... I see a name that's familiar and I don't know if it's in my family. I take a picture and there's been many times where four, five, six years later, I find the record and I I have this weird thing with my memory where it's almost like a photographic memory for genealogy for whatever reason. And I'll see a name and I'll go, Oh, that's that headstone that I photographed five years ago. I know where that picture is. And I look at it. I'm like, sure enough, that's it. I found it years ago, but I didn't know who they were. So it's, it's something that, you know, for me, again, the cemeteries I'm specifically talking about are Lodi, Patterson, New Jersey, things like that, where there are a lot of relatives. So it's, um, you know, park the car, walk around, because you never know who you're going to find. I've, I've done it even into Orange County, New York, and things like that. Um, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, so years ago, I used to work up in, in Orange County, New York, and I would drive um, one of the highways that goes through the town is Route 32, right off the New York State Thruway. And I would pass this cemetery every day to and from work. So 10 times a week, I drove past this cemetery every day. And I knew that we had friends of the family that were buried there because we, the families were in touch and they're buried right on the road. So I would see their headstone every single time I went to and from the grave, uh, to and from my, my job. And there was one point where I, I met my uncle, my, my biological mother's brother and one of the things I had asked him, which I, you know, I, had, I hadn't met him for, there's, there's a lot of reasons there. Um, I met him in college. And one of the things I asked him was if he knew anything about his mother's baby sister that had died, which would be my great aunt, my grandmother's younger sister. And he, he thought about it and his wife goes, oh, her name's written in this little book that we have that was, that was your grandmother's. So sure enough, she goes into these old boxes of photos and she pulls out this little book and my great-grandmother wrote when her daughters were born. She wrote my grandmother's name with her date of birth and she wrote the 
the sister's name. It says Dorothy Francis Paul, and it has the name, the, the date of birth for her. And I then took that information and was able to track down a birth record and a death record because we knew she died as a baby from spina bifida. Um, and sure enough, she was buried in the cemetery that I drove past 10 times a week. I had been looking for her for years. We didn't even know her name. And it was crazy to me because like for my, for my mother and her siblings, that's their aunt. And they didn't even know what her name was. They just knew that their mom had a sister that died. And that was the end of the story. Like she had spina bifida. She died. You know, our mother was about five when she died or four or five, whatever it was. And that, that was it. That was all the information they had. So we went from that to having the name, having the record, and then me finding out this person I've been looking for for all this time, I'm literally driving past where she's buried five days a week. So just really, you know, unbelievable <laughs> stuff. You never, you never know what you're going to find. You really don't. Nope. So good stuff. Well, Corey, I want to I thank you very much for joining me on, on this episode. This was a very fun conversation. And uh, I, really, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I had a blast. Very good. I will talk to you soon. All right, take care, Mike. Take care. So thanks again to Corey for joining me on the show today. I think that was a wonderful conversation and one that I hope that everyone can really learn a lot from. Whether you're dealing with New Jersey research or you're dealing with European research, there's a lot of stuff that can be uncovered from that conversation. So again, Corey, thank you for joining me. And I will talk to you all soon on the next episode of Roots. Everyone has a story. Take care.